You're listening to the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey, a leading multi-platform audio content and entertainment company. Listen on the Odyssey app. For the ANA Champions of Growth Podcast, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Marketing veteran Jerry DeVard founded Becca, the Black Executive CMO Alliance, in 2021 to help bridge the corporate diversity gap. The organization, which now has 38 top senior black marketing executives from Fortune 500 companies, plays a key role spurring diversity, equity, and inclusion. It was just a few years ago, following the murder of George Floyd, that a sense of urgency swept throughout the ad industry that client-side marketers and their agencies needed to do a much better job spurring diversity and inclusion. Marketing organizations that want to grow have to reflect the fast-changing demographics of the country and get out of their comfort zone when it comes to hiring, retention, and promotion. That's the stated goal, and there are certainly different ways of getting there. But in the last year or so, the industry seems to be backsliding. According to the Diversity in Agencies survey for 2022, conducted by the four A's and released earlier this summer, the number of agencies owned or run by white CEOs jumped to 90% in 2022 from 73% in 2021. And representation for owners and CEOs across other ethnicities dropped. Equally discouraging, thousands of diversity-focused workers have been laid off since late last year, per the Wall Street Journal. DeVard, who was previously Executive VP and Chief Customer Officer at Office Depot, has some sharp opinions about the current state of diversity, equity, and inclusion, the danger for companies that give DE&I short shrift, and where things go from here. Jerry, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Matthew. Jerry, you started Becca, Black Executive CMO Alliance in 2021, and the organization now has 38 top senior black marketing executives from Fortune 500 companies, including UPS, Mars Wrigley, and Marriott, among others. What was the impetus for starting the organization? The impetus really was about the pay it forward mission. During COVID, I spoke to a lot of my fellow chief marketing officers about the challenges that they were having. As we had these conversations, it clearly came out that there was a lot going on where the conversations that you were having were one-to-one, but that we didn't know a lot about each other. We didn't know that there were others that were like us that were going through some of the same experiences. And after every call, I'd kind of go back to my office and make a note that said, that was a great conversation. I want to have another one. And as I talked to more and more people, I recognized that there were a lot of what we were going through in terms of the lessons that we were learning were very valuable for us to share collectively. The idea of creating a group of people black marketers that could do four things, which is what the pillars of Becca are, share, learn, elevate, and pay it forward. If we could really do that in a way that helped others, that that would be meaningful. I always say that I was a corporate duck. I worked, got paid every two weeks, regardless of how the company was doing, and I've never been an entrepreneur. But I would say that founding the Black Executive CMO Alliance is probably the best work I've done because it's the most meaningful and the most, to me, legacy around helping others. What role does it play in bolstering diversity, equity, and inclusion? It plays several roles. One is when we kind of highlight our 38 members, so many people are surprised to know that, wow, the person that heads up marketing or the president of that division or the CEO of that company is Black. That then says, okay, we are there. 
we're in significant roles and responsibilities. And so if you see that, then that allows you the opportunity to know that you can be that. It also says that when you look at the people in those roles, that when you read about their history and the companies that they've worked at and the things that they've done, it's not been one blueprint. A lot of people think that it's either been a crystal staircase or that it's all been about one path to the C-suite. And the beauty of 38 people is that you see them doing it different ways. And then when we talk about the Becca Playbook, which is a, a two-year learning and development program that we developed with Deloitte, and we have these young Black marketing professionals in the program, it helps them understand what it's like to be in the C-suite because we share that information with them. And they then become better, stronger marketers as a result from learning from those that are in the seat. In regard to your constituents, what are Becca leaders providing in terms of an intellectual foundation for the rest of the industry to help close the diversity gap? What are the top priorities? First and foremost, they're speaking in circles and organizations where marketing matters. So they're being heard and they're being heard at a level that indicates that they, they, they have expertise, that they're dealing with these issues actively, and they have a strong point of view. Because I always say, if you're sitting in a room, make sure people understand how you feel about the issue that's being discussed. You don't sit on your hands. And so they're hearing from these leaders around issues that matter. And they're learning from our Becca members of issues that matter. And I think it makes you think about the leadership roles that these Becca members have in ways that make you go back in your organization and say, well, what does our C-suite look like? How are we learning from the diversity or lack thereof in our organization? But more importantly, these leaders, when they're talking, they are not skirting the issue of DEI. In many of the conversations around modern marketing and what makes sense and tending to your customers, it's the representation. Do you have product services, messages, plans to address that market, either as a customer or a consumer? And then also the hiring that they're doing, looking at the hiring that they're doing to create diverse teams themselves. The profound impact is A, them being there, being damn good at what they do, talking about the issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion in a meaningful way, creating change by the hiring of not only the people in the organization, but the agencies, the firms, the issues that they champion, and being in stages where they're being heard and challenging others in the marketing profession to do the same. In the aggregate, can you provide some tangible examples of how your constituents are looking to change the trajectory of DE&I within the C-suite? We have 50 future leaders that we expect to be in the C-suite. So each of our BECA members, there are two things that they do. We didn't really have to make mandatory, but it's a requirement because it's something that they do out of love and respect for the organization and the profession. One is each of our C-suite leaders has a mentor that is a future leader. So that's a one-to-one -one direct relationship. It's not a drive-by. This is a serious relationship where the future leader can pick up the phone or text or call and have an issue raised in a very meaningful way that is going to be substantive, that is not going to be you know, trite or perfunctory, it's gonna be real. The second thing is when you think about organizations that are going through organizational design or hiring an agency or taking on a consultant, we can call each other and say, have you worked with this individual? Have you worked with this company? How are you managing the governance of AI in your organization? What is your CEO saying about abortion rights or the affirmative action? I mean, these are conversations that they're leading 
in places where people can hear their voices and many times being the voice of the organization for these issues. It's really important to recognize that the role that they sit in, the importance of it, and then the impact that they can have. What are some of the key components for nurturing Black talent that companies are missing, particularly at the senior level? Well, the first thing I say is look at the data. Data is king. When you think about your attrition, if you look at attrition, what does it look like for the general population? And what does it look like when you look at Black and Brown people? Typically in organizations, the attrition number is much higher and the retention is much lower. When you think about that, you have to ask yourself why. Recruiting being the same, you're recruiting top talent from the schools. You're looking for people with the experience that can do the job. You're looking for great references. You're putting them in the same training programs and onboarding. But why is it happening? And so I always say, what are the exit interviews? And are they real serious exit interviews? Let's talk about employee satisfaction surveys. When you look at the general population of what employee satisfaction is, and then you click down into what it's like for black and brown, it typically is not as happy. So you have to get to the root of the issue. Are you isolating dissatisfaction, attrition, and retention by leader? Because all leaders are not the same. And when you really are focused on this issue and you say, okay, now some leaders with the same DNA seem to be doing really well at this. And there's some leaders that are very poor, that don't have any people of color on their team, that aren't nurturing, that aren't part of ERGs, that aren't recruiting at HBCUs. So you have to say, where's the tone at the top? And this is not the chief diversity officer's role. This is the whole C-suite, including the CEO, because CDOs can't do this work by themselves. And I think this is the challenge that they have because they walk around with a lot of trauma around trying to make a difference for the organization, trying to make a difference for people of color and trying to make leaders make this a priority. So you have to partner with them in order to affect change. And do you have real goals? Like you have KPIs for your financials. Do you have goals that you're giving each leader? Is your compensation tied to the achievement of those goals? Because if it's not, then it's a lot of rhetoric that doesn't have kind of the fuel and the focus from the top so that there are consequences when you don't achieve it. So perhaps a more nuanced interpretation of the data of senior level satisfaction needed? I wouldn't say nuanced. I would say intentional, looking for the differences. You're always looking for the outliers and trying to understand why. Anytime you're presented with data, it's like make the numbers talk. So the so what of this is... And what are we going to do about it? And when you do something about it, it's because it's important to you. When you don't, it's because it's interesting, but you're not going to follow up. Using the same intentionality around changing the trajectory of representation and inclusion in a meaningful way that is published in your annual report, that is understood from the top into the middle and the lower levels of the organization, and having clear plans where if you ask anybody in your organization, what were you doing to improve representation and inclusion, they would not only know it, but they would see it, that there is a sense of urgency around creating change. What are the main pages from the Becca Playbook when it comes to reimagining the careers of mid-career Black marketers for a path toward the C-suite? It's recognizing that they can show up with their authentic selves. Here's what's interesting about the Becca Playbook. In order to be in the Becca Playbook, you have to be ranked as high potential in your organization. You have to be willing to put in the 100 plus hours of our two-year program. And you have to be committed to attending all of the sessions, the 100 hours uh, over the two years. 
And so you're already someone that the organization is pouring into. What we like to do is take that and then accelerate it by having conversations about marketing and excellence and what's black about it. And them hearing from people that talk about, well, what's it like when you walk in and you're the only one in the room? How do you push through being the lonely only and not being a victim of that, but using it as a way to create change and difference and have your voice heard? Because when you're there, you don't have the luxury of sitting there and only speaking when spoken to. You have to speak up. You have to ask the questions because sometimes people say, oh, well, I'm not in the C-suite, so I can't create change. I say, you can create so much change by asking the question. Just ask the question and be prepared to click down on the answers. Stay with us. There's more to come. We now take a break for a brief message regarding Greater Good Magazine. Greater Good covers a wide array of brands and organizations that are looking to do good for humanity. Stories run the gamut, from a program sponsored by Chipotle to reduce food insecurity, to the eco-initiatives of the U.S. Postal Service, to the New York Islanders providing funding for canines to become guide dogs. The publication is designed to inspire marketers, along with the real-world intelligence they need to drive growth and boost their value. Find the publication at www.ana.net slash champions of greater good. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Jerry DeVard, founder and board member of Becca, the Black Executive CMO Alliance, which is looking to shrink the corporate diversity gap. Jerry, before the break, we were talking about how mid-career Black marketers create a path toward the C-suite. And I wanted to get your take on a recent study showing that the number of agencies owned or run by white CEOs jumped to 90.2% in 2022 from 73% in 2021, and representation for owners and CEOs across other ethnicities dropped. That's according to the Diversity and Agencies Survey for 2022 conducted by the four A's. Following the groundswell for diversity, equity, inclusion after the murder of George Floyd in 2020, do you think the marketing industry is starting to backslide? I do. And not just the marketing industry. The world is backsliding. We saw the exit of some pretty notable, credible, reputable chief diversity officers from big organizations. Where is that work going to be focused on now? You see a lot of challenges to diversity, equity, and inclusion progress that we've made with the Supreme Court decision around affirmative action. You see a lot of venture capitalists that are challenging organizations around programs that are focused on people of color. This is when you show what you're made of. This is when people challenge what you believe is right, you're up for the challenge. When people challenge what you believe is morally, historically right for your organization to do, you don't buckle under that weight. You come back with the data that shows why and the progress and you continue on. My fear is that some organizations that always want to stay in the middle and don't want to come out and underscore what it is they truly believe in may come under the pressure of those that challenge and want to take us back. And I I really feel this and want to take us back to the 1800s when black and brown people didn't have rights. I think that they are challenged by the progress that's being made, the the board seats, the the C-suites the roles that we had been denied, that people, once they opened their eyes and said, is it really talent that's not allowing people of color, African-Americans to be in these roles? Or is it us not opening the door? And so when organizations recognized that it wasn't a level playing field and they wanted to make it a level playing field, and guess what? Black people showed up in these roles and are doing well. It then 
felt that some people feel it's a zero-sum game. If you're gaining, I'm losing. We can't all win. So yes, I think organizations are, but this is where you have to ask the question and those that are in those roles, black, white, brown, red, green, have to say, if this is what we said, if this is what we believe, then we are not bothered. We are undaunted by the challenges and we will stand up and talk about that to anyone in our annual report, in our boardrooms, on main stages, that this is what we believe. And having a voice and representation for all is what we're going to stand for. And that's something that I believe in and I will die talking about because I've seen the side of a door close. I've also been on the other side when it opens. For a CEO and President Marla Kaplowitz told Ad Age in coverage of this survey, quote, I worry we're having the same conversation and not moving it forward, end quote, when it comes to building a more diverse industry. What's the cost for the ad and marketing industries if they downplay DE&I and fail to keep up with fast-changing demographics in the U.S.? I want to go back to something you said. We're having the same conversation. The question is, who's we? Because if you're a part of that conversation and you're having the same one, that means that there's no action. The business case for diversity, that's long since over. There are a billion cases for the case of diversity. There are a billion reasons why you understand that companies that have diverse representation perform better than those that don't. That story is out there. The question is, what is holding you back from creating that change? And don't tell me, oh, we can't find them. We've looked. I don't buy that. There are too many talented people of color, too many talented African-Americans in the roles that you're looking to fill that are out there. You're not looking hard enough. It is much like you don't get to blow your financials, your quarterly financials, your EBITDA, your EPS, your earnings, your net income. You pick the statistic. You don't get to do that quarter after quarter after quarter, because I can guarantee you shareholders aren't going to have the same conversation with a CEO that's sitting over lackluster performance. The board of directors is not going to have a conversation with management over and over again if they're not performing. So why is it that this is a conversation that you're having without a plan? Do you think the Supreme Court's recent decision striking down affirmative action is having a chilling effect? When you are pressured to explain what you're doing and why, and there's not the support and the commitment to do it, then it can go away easily. If this is something that's critical, you walk the talk. The demonstration of what you do, when you look at the say-do ratio, what I say and what I do, you always want to do more than you say. And when you're saying more than you do, then your credibility is called into question. The organizations that really are committed to this are not going to be swayed by the Supreme Court. They are not going to be swayed by the pressure. But what they're going to do is they're going to look around and see that when I look at our customer and consumer base, and I look at the people that are responsible for delivering on reaching them, there is an imbalance. And I am committed to erasing that imbalance, erasing it. Pay equity. Let's talk about that. Pay equity, looking at my organization and finding out, am I paying women and people of color the same? We just reached a Black Women's Equitable Pay Day two weeks ago, which has said that, okay, Black women have to work three times longer to make the same amount of money as white males. What is it that allows you to pick up all your cards and go when you're challenged? And I believe that those roles and the question I said earlier, so if there's not one person there that's responsible for that, then who is going to make sure that it happens? And my point earlier about it not just being a chief diversity officer, but a tribe of people that have to allow them to enact the changes because they're outside of the business. 
and they're carrying a lot of weight. But I do think, and, and this is something that Beck has been very fortunate, the companies that we work with, the people that are our allies, our sponsors, they understand what we're trying to do and they are aligned in this mission to create a more equitable space. And as they scratch their heads, they have seen Becca as a way for them to get at what it is they truly wanna do. So there are a lot more organizations, I believe, that understand it, but there's some that get the spotlight because of where they are in the zeitgeist of our cultural norms. They do not represent the vast majority because I have seen where there are people that are quietly making changes. There are people that are also publicly saying, we're not going to allow this to happen. And the litigation that comes at them, they turn around and litigate back. You often hear that bolstering DE&I comes with a real commitment to investments and sustaining those investments. But now companies seem to be saying something's gotta give with an unpredictable economy layoffs and the ongoing specter of a recession. But is looking at DE&I and recruiting senior Black executives through a purely economic prism require an alternative approach? Is it more about the will to make change? It does not require a different economic approach. Your growth, your success, that's hardwired. You know what it is you need to do. You're not going to change that for diversity. In fact, you're going to recognize that diversity can accelerate that. If you're talking to the same people that do not have different experiences of being black, being a woman, being black and a woman, being black and a man, being brown, you're not getting the full benefit of what diversity really means. Some people look at diversity and only see color. What you have to do is understand the experience of how they got to the C-suite. First of all, if you are a person of color and you're in the C-suite, you have to work damn hard to get there. No one was handing out free candy when you showed up. You had to demonstrate over and over and over again that you were capable of doing the job. And when you get there, the experiences that you have are valuable. And so if you're not seeking those, when you're looking around the room, and especially in marketing and advertising, we know the graveyard is littered with organizations in marketing and advertising that got it wrong, that didn't understand the cultural insight of what they were selling, that started out saying, okay, this is what we're gonna do and we're gonna make it work for everyone, not recognizing who they were leaving behind. I mean, you have to ask yourself, who are we leaving behind? Who is this really targeted at? Are we really addressing the needs of all of our consumers in different ways? There's no one size fits all. And who is best able to talk about that? What I see on Instagram and TikTok is different than what you see, Matthew. And so when you're developing programs and you're trying to understand what is important and what is relevant, what lens are you looking through? Are you looking through your lens? Are you delegating that to someone else to tell you? Or can you speak with someone that understands, that lives that different life? And that's what's important that people have to understand. It's even within the LGBTQ community. Do you understand it enough to recognize the differences in how you speak and what you say? Do you recognize the differences within the Latinx community? If you look, step back and say, well, look, we're a mass marketer. We're gonna make it work. We'll cast, we'll cast. It's not about the casting. It's about the idea. It's about the initial intention of wanting that consumer or customer to prefer your product, your brand, your service over someone else's. And where does that come from? And what's the authenticity of that? Because people can smell a hundred yards away fake campaigns, those that aren't rooted in the community, your money is wasted because the message did not land. In fact, you were negative. You did more harm than good. 
So get it right and get it right with the right people in the room. And don't come at this issue around casting. Don't come at this issue when you don't have people behind the camera, in the C-suite, in the manager levels. Because a lot of these things start lower levels and they bubble up. So who is seeing that, hearing that, and understanding it so that they can translate and create winning, meaningful messages, strategies, and campaigns that resonate because they come from the right place? Any efforts that come off as disingenuous or half-baked, they're going to backfire on the company, as I, if I'm to understand you correctly. Oh, of course, of course. They're going to be rejected full scale. And it's embarrassing because no marketer starts out to miss the mark. There's a lot of research, a lot of time, a lot of second guessing that goes into that. But when you stand in front of the organization and say, this is what we're going to do. And a lot of what we do as marketers, people feel is subjective because they feel that someone else can do it better. You have to be able to stand behind it. And standing behind it means that you've done your work and you've done it and talked to enough people that you can, not only you can stand behind it, but you want your CEO, you want everyone else to stand behind it. Now, the fortunate thing about Becca is that we have presidents and CEOs and EVPs that look at the work and have it through the lens of their team. And they're asking those questions and they're being able to represent that in a meaningful way. What I want is all marketers to be able to step back and say, do we have the right representation in our organization, on my team, in my company, in my agencies that can help us be effective? And as we start to wrap up, Jerry, Becca had a large delegation at Cannes earlier this summer. What was your overriding message regarding the challenges to foster DE&I? Did you try and light a little fire with the industry? Not a little fire. We're trying to do bonfires. We're trying to do bonfires in the places that matter. And we know that Cannes is the Olympics of marketing and advertising. We had eight future leaders that were there through a partnership with Essential and Can Lines that we treasure, a great partnership because they recognize what they are trying to do to bring inclusion into this industry as someone that convenes the minds and eyes of the world in this industry. We had 38 Becca members and future leaders that were there. And our future leaders spoke on main stages about what the power of marketing, the power of diversity in campaigns and outcomes and vendors and partners. It was beautiful because everywhere we went, we talked about, I like that African proverb that says, if spiders unite, you can tie up a lion. The collective wisdom experience and voices of our Becca members were brought in all of the rooms and stages that were there. Becca members and future leaders were there representing themselves, first of all, then their company and then Becca. And the message that we have about Becca around really opening your eyes to the work that needs to be done and deciding that you're going to be a part of it. The world is divided into those that say, tisk, 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 somebody ought to do something about that. And those that say, what can I do? And I'm going to do it. We're trying to get more people that lean into their power that can create the changes in their organization by just talking about it in informal ways, not formal ways. We had some formal presentations. Our future leaders were on the stage in the Palais and all over, but we also had a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations where people could, without being on stage, without it being performative, without being judged, talk to me about what I can do. What have you done that's been successful? So you found a lot of folks receptive to the message? People were receptive. People actually approached me and said, tell me more about Becca. Tell me more about how we can get involved. Tell me more about what it is my company can do that they're not doing now. Those are the conversations that I loved because it said, ah, we're making progress. We wanted people to be aware. We all know as marketers, the first step is awareness. Do you know who you are? 
then it's what are you about? And sometimes awareness and what you're about come at the same time. I know them, aren't they the, and you fill in the blank. And so what we wanted to do was to be a physical demonstration of what Becca is, what we're about, and the progress that we're trying to make and the need for allies, the need for support, the need for the ears, and the need for you leaning into the power that you don't have to pass the buck on this. This is not someone else's issue. This is your issue to own and change. And thankfully, we had a lot of good conversations, but we need to have more. And this is the beauty of your podcast, Matthew, that I love being able to get the word out. If there's one thing I want people to take away is two questions I want them to ask themselves. What are we doing and what more can we do? And we'll have to leave it there. Jerry DeBard, founder and board member of Becca, the Black Executive CMO Alliance. Jerry, thanks so much for your illuminating comments on your time. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you so much. To learn more about the Black Executive CMO Alliance, go to blackexec.com. Be sure to tune in next time when I welcome Josh Ingram, founder and principal of Most Wanted Company, to discuss how marketers foster employee relations and make sure everyone is on the same page. If you would like to recommend a guest or topic for a future episode, please email me at mschwartz at ana.net. And be sure to subscribe to Champions of Growth wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thanks for listening. This has been a presentation of the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey.